Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we look at how the city of Tucson is planning current and future development. Last summer, The Buzz held a live show on gentrification and neighborhood change. We had so many questions from the audience members, from you, that we decided to spend the next two weeks exploring some of the issues you asked about, as well as taking a look at ongoing city development plans. One of the panel members at our show last summer was Corky Poster. He's an architect and principal planner at Poster Murto McDonald, a firm specializing in historic preservation, community architecture, and urban planning. We asked him back to answer some of your questions and began with a straightforward one. What is zoning? Zoning is an effort for cities to control the location of various land uses within a city and then the requirements for those land uses within each of the created zones. So if you go back to the beginning of the 20th century, you had factories being built next to houses, being built next to fat rending plants. So the cities decided to take some control over the characteristics of the different kind of development within a city. In Tucson, zoning was created in 1948, whereby the city in one fell swoop did a whole bunch of zoning labels and then created a zoning ordinance that created the requirements and characteristics for each one of those labels. Most of the zoning we have is the zoning that was created then uh, with lots of, as you might guess, changes and elaborations that have occurred over the last um, 60 some odd years. It seems like uh, zoning ratchets up, but it never really ratchets down. Is that a fair characterization? Uh, That's not only a fair characterization, that's also the current law. Zoning is, you're right, it's it's always been a one-way street. Developers have always been impatient with the restrictions on zoning and want the opportunity to develop more and higher density. And essentially every time that's done, that's a windfall for developers. So suppose you own an R2 big piece of property and you want to rezone it to R3 or some other zone. And generally speaking, that significantly increases the value of your property. And for developers, that just goes in their pocket. And several years ago, there was, that was codified statewide in a uh, proposition which said that the government or cities and towns specifically cannot do anything to diminish the value of your property, that is down zoning, without having to pay the lost value from that down zoning. So it's always been a one-way street and now it's codified into being a one-way street. Let me give an example. We have five HPZs, historic zones in Tucson. Uh, those would absolutely be either illegal now 
or the city would have to write a gigantic check if it tried to pass one of those. It seems like a lot of the the changes that developers or, or landowners um, are looking at are the, the flexible lot development that allows them to build up, literally, to accommodate more density. Is that a good policy, and what's good and bad about it? Basically, what the city has said is that they would like to encourage more density, uh, which generally I, I agree with just because we can't continue to spread out horizontally um, and, and just build more and more on the edges of the desert and extend our infrastructure. That's a, a costly and environmentally destructive way to build. So what they did is that they said, um, there's two kinds of FLDs, two kinds of increased development. Um, one is basic by right, and the other is in a reward for low-income housing, housing for the elderly, historic preservation, and additional open space. So they said that you can have increased density under the FLD, but you can have really increased densities if you participate in something we consider to be community benefit. In our show last summer, when we were talking about gentrification, a lot of people expressed frustration that the planning and design review process, it isn't inclusive enough, and the city planning process always favors the developer. You've been in this game a long time. Do you think that's the case? I do think that's the case. I think the whole topic of gentrification in general tends to favor those with more, mo- more knowledge and more capital. And so um, part of the solution then is to make sure that those who are being victimized by gentrification um, have access to better knowledge and better capital so that they can compete on an equal footing with the developers that, um, that make an uneven game board. When it comes to... Uh, affordable housing or subsidized housing. Should the city focus on integrating subsidized or affordable housing into what are being called gentrified neighborhoods? Um, I'm a strong proponent of that. And, And not only am I a proponent of that happening, I'm a strong proponent of that happening first. And downtown Tucson is a very, very good example. In the 2000s, I think, uh, Within the last 20 years, um, as some of us saw that there would ultimately be a rapid gentrification of downtown, we were big proponents of building affordable housing downtown first. And there were many, many projects that were done to do that. The Martin Luther King apartments, the project that was built for veterans at Stone and Stone and Broadway. We just finished the Marist College projects. All of those projects were built early on before any market rate housing was built downtown. And I remember uh, a conversation with um, someone I have a great deal of respect for, Michael Keith, who was uh, executive director of the Downtown Development Corporation. And Michael was saying, Corky, we don't need affordable housing downtown. We need market rate housing downtown. And my answer is, 
we need to do the affordable housing first because once that market gets hot, we won't be able to do any affordable housing. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, so we built six or seven or eight affordable downtown projects. And then all of a sudden the market has built another 10 of those uh, on the tail end of that. And it gives me great pleasure, honestly, to watch low-income seniors sitting at that little park at the corner of Stone and Church and walking around and enjoying a revitalized downtown uh, in a way that they never could have afforded to beforehand and never will be able to again in the future. So I am a very big proponent of not only building affordable housing in rapidly gentrifying areas, but building it first. We got some questions last summer when we were talking about gentrification about how zoning policy and discrimination intersect. Can you talk about that a little more, how those two things intersect? Yeah, it's, it's a tricky question. Um, and then capital is the, the third question, who has access to capital? I mean, we had a very long and sad history of what's called redlining in Tucson. And redlining is, is the name comes from banks drawing red lines around certain neighborhoods and essentially agreeing not to rent to folks in those neighborhoods. So uh, it goes back to um, the, the, what I was saying before is I think it's really important that we have increased density. I think it's important that we have increased density along transit lines. I think it's important that we have increased density uh, near jobs, near employment, uh, and uh, near community amenities, things that people want to live near. I think we should uh, increase the density uh, for all of those kinds of land uses. But I think it's important that we, uh, that the beneficiaries of that increased density are people with limited means, uh, communities that have been in their neighborhoods for hundreds of years who should not be dislocated to make room for uh, newer folks with more buying power. And I think it's gonna take a concerted effort of all of those things, of access to capital, access to information, access to knowledge about uh, development patterns and development opportunities. All of that needs to work together to make sure that we wind up with mixed uses and mixed income and equity development uh, in our communities. I think we can do that if we have the will and the intent to do that, but it's gonna take an effort on all of those fronts, uh, education, knowledge, information, uh, zoning, and access to capital to make sure that folks with more knowledge, more information, and more money don't always keep winning. That was Corky Poster, an architect and principal planner at Poster Murto McDonald. As we've been discussing, Tucson is not a dense city. Over three-quarters of the housing is zoned for single-family detached homes, but that's changing. AZPM's Jake Steinberg explains how the city grew and why new apartment projects are often met with a harsh response. 
Zoning isn't something most city residents spend tons of their time thinking about, but it's increasingly at the heart of conversations around housing affordability and environmental sustainability. The discussion often centers around three words, single-family homes. To some, they represent the American ideal of home ownership, but in some cities, they're seen as a barrier to those social goals. In 2018, Minneapolis became the first U.S. city to abolish single-family zoning, allowing denser housing everywhere in the city. The idea of urbanization and a denser urban environment makes sense for a whole host of sustainable and economic reasons. Damien Klinko is the head of the Tucson Historic Preservation Foundation. He said density is more efficient. By creating infill, you're not building new infrastructure that has to be maintained in perpetuity. I mean, you can look at Tucson's roads today because we don't have a dense urban environment and the cost of maintaining those roads is becoming less and less sustainable. Tucson's pothole-laden roads aren't only expensive, all that asphalt contributes to its status as one of the fastest warming cities in the country. Tucson is cheaper than most cities, but affordable housing is becoming harder to find. Rent in Tucson single-family homes has jumped over 7% this year. Klinko says Tucson ended up with a lopsided housing environment because nearly all of the city as we know it today took shape after World War II. You know, in 1930, the population was a little over 30,000, and by 1960, the population of Tucson was around 220,000. Downtown Tucson never got very large because suburbanization became a key alternative. Air conditioning and government-backed mortgages promoted growth and sprawl. People who bought homes at the edge of town soon found themselves in the middle of it. In recent years, the trends that pushed Tucson outward have reversed. Young people and some downsizing baby boomers want to live in places that are more urban and walkable. But proposals to densify Tucson have drawn strong objections from some residents. Some of that was seen in the proposal to build market-rate apartments in the former Benedictine Monastery on Country Club. But the vast majority of dense projects proposed in Tucson are geared towards students. The latest example? A 140-foot student housing tower on the corner of Campbell and 6th Avenues. We feel like the scale is probably inappropriate. There's some concerns about the uses there, primarily student housing, circulation, traffic access, uh, lighting and noise. Colby Henley is the president of the Rincon Heights Neighborhood Association. He says he supports denser development because it gets people out of their cars and limits sprawl. To me, climate change is probably the, the pressing issue, and I'm willing to make maybe a bit more sacrifices for that. I still think infill can be done appropriately, and I'm, I'm not, certainly not advocating for just a blank check for developers to come in and build whatever they want. He says there's broad agreement that the corner is due for some development. But there's a cautionary tale in the other student housing in Tucson. If you look at some of the student housing around the main gate area and some of those issues that we've seen with parking and things out the window, off the balconies. And despite increasing the supply of housing, student apartments don't do much to keep Tucson affordable. Klinko says that's because the current zoning incentivizes outside ownership, and that's really attractive to the finance industry. You know, ultimately, land use is about sort of picking winners and losers. You know, where before we had students who were spread out throughout, you know, the urban center and living in people's guest houses and in their, you know, carriage house, we now see a consolidation into what are primarily hedge fund owned investments. And so these these investments are ultimately extracting a tremendous amount of money that would otherwise be going to the local residents. When it comes to zoning, the city's hands are largely tied. 
Arizona state law bars local government from preventing a developer from maximizing the value of their property. But the city is trying to correct that economic effect. Affordable housing is difficult. On the developer side, it really doesn't pay for itself. And Chineka is the deputy director of housing and community development for the city. She says it's begun asking developers what it would take to build affordable housing on city-owned parcels. She also points to the new Commission on Equitable Housing and Development, which will pursue new strategies to incentivize affordability. And because so much of the new student tower developments are in the urban center, Chineka says in the future they could be converted to apartments for non-students. Something that's encouraging is seeing the opportunities to convert those to housing over time if we're seeing less demand for that type of housing. She says Tucson is lucky to have lower rental prices than most U.S. cities, but she recognizes that's little comfort if your rent just went up. For The Buzz, I'm Jake Steinberg. This week, we're talking about city zoning and planning decisions and how those affect different interests. Corin Manning is the planning administrator for the city of Tucson and joined us to discuss some of these issues. We asked her what she thinks the city's top priorities are right now when it comes to planning and development. I mean, I would say there's a few. Obviously, affordable housing is a huge goal for the city, and I would say Um, On housing affordability, it's sort of um, maintaining housing affordability as well as creating more affordable housing. So one thing that I think is important to to note or keep in mind when talking about housing in Tucson is that our city um, was hit very hard by the 2008 housing crash and it had a much slower recovery than a lot of other cities, um, much slower than some of our peer cities in the West. Um, And in fact, as of last year, still had not regained our um, median housing value of pre-2008, our 2006 kind of peak. We had not come back to that level, which I think only Tucson and um, one other city had not gotten to that level. Um, So Tucson is actually fairly affordable, um, our housing, compared to a lot of other cities. But that's because we have lower wages, we have fewer high wage jobs here and just fewer jobs in general, a smaller economy than a lot of other cities. So I think one of the questions is really how do we maintain the affordability that we have? We have a lot of people moving to Tucson because of the housing affordability, you know, coming from places like California um, and other places in the West, um, Seattle, other places on the West Coast where housing costs are incredibly high and are a huge burden for families. Um, So Tucson housing looks very attractive, um, especially now that we know that a number of people are able to work remotely and can work wherever they want. So I think the question is, if we do see an influx of new residents and jobs, I mean, we want to see more jobs in Tucson. We want our community to grow economically. How do we maintain the housing affordability that we already have and make sure that as we add more jobs and more people, we are able to keep up with that housing demand by continuing to develop and build more housing to meet the demands of of new residents. When you talk about more housing being developed, uh, is the idea more density in areas like downtown or the west side or central neighborhoods? Yeah, I would say that there's multiple approaches that we want to take as a city towards growth. And 
Um, if you look at Plan Tucson, which is our basically our blueprint for development, it lays out a future growth um, scenario uh, for the city um, that was adopted in 2013 um, and is still our adopted general plan that we use to guide decisions around land use and growth. Um, you know, there's there's kind of a I would say it's a, a balanced approach where we want to encourage infill in existing neighborhoods. Um, and in our downtown especially, um, but in areas that are central to the city, that are close to transit, et cetera. We're doing a lot to promote density um, in the core of the city, not just with our downtown development incentives, but also new tools like the Sunshine Mile District that's going to promote more mixed-use development along Broadway from Euclid to Country Club. And we have other existing tools like that to promote more infill development. So at the same time that we're promoting infill in the city, there's also huge demand for, you know, more single family residential development at the edges of our city. And we also are promoting that through policies and, and development plans that have been adopted by mayor and council, including, for example, Atterbury Trails, which is a planned community development that was approved last year for several thousand acres of land owned by the Arizona State Land Department. Um, and this will be a huge growth area for the city for many years to come. This is an area along Houghton, um, around Valencia and Irvington. So just a huge area that's going to see a lot of growth. There are critics out there who say increased density, especially downtown and, and in other parts of the, the established areas of the city, that the, it doesn't come with the amenities like parks and libraries. It just builds up and adds more people. How do you answer those folks? Well, um, there are um, incentives in parks and other services that do come with uh, growth. So um, projects pay impact fees, which puts dollars towards services that we need to support growth. Um, so it goes towards police, fire, roads, or transportation, not just roads, but other transportation options, and parks. And um, we also have other ways that we're investing in parks as a community. So Prop 407 was passed by voters about two years ago. Um, and that is a huge investment in our parks. And I think that was um, partially to recognize the growth in our community and that in order to have a really strong, vibrant community that is attractive to newcomers and um, works as a desirable place for existing residents and newcomers, um, we need really great parks and open space as well as more um, paths, you know, bike paths and walking areas, things like that. Those, those types of amenities are absolutely essential as we grow. Equity always seems to be an issue. How does the city focus on equity when it comes to these types of zoning decisions? Well, that's a huge um, goal for the city. Um, I would say one of the big things we're thinking about with development is housing affordability, as I mentioned, as well as just economic opportunity and job growth in general. Um, so a major goal is supporting affordable housing options. And and really trying to be creative and create new incentives for affordable housing. So that's really what we're trying to do with Sunshine Mile is um, create an incentive where essentially um, you get one level of density if you're doing just market rate housing, and then you get additional density if you are also doing affordable housing in your development. So the idea there is um, to create affordable housing, but also make sure that it is mixed in in existing development to create mixed income developments and a more mixed income neighborhood or retain that mixed income character in the neighborhood. 
We're talking with Corin Manning. She's City of Tucson planning architect. Last year, we had a live show on gentrification and took questions from the audience. Several of those focused on what the audience members perceived to be a city perpetually favoring developers rather than residents in decision making. You're on the inside. Do you think that's the case? I mean, I think that's that's a great question. Um, I would say that public involvement is a really important value for the city. Um, and um, there are many ways for the public to be involved in development decisions for everything from being involved in commenting on a specific neighbor uh, development plan in your neighborhood, so a specific site, you know, when there is a proposal on the table. But there's also ways to be involved in um, earlier phases, creating a neighborhood plan um, that will then set a foundation for what type of development is appropriate in the future. So, for example, we're working with the Neighborhood Association in Menlo Park right now to create a neighborhood plan, and a lot of that came out of um, those neighbors feeling like we are kind of on the receiving end here. We're only hearing about projects once there is a proposal in place. We want to be involved earlier. Um, so that's just to say that there's a lot of different ways to be involved at different stages. Um, we'll also be looking at updates to our general plan in the next few years. Um, and uh, there will be uh, many opportunities for involvement, and we're going to be reaching out across the community to try to get input from as many people in Tucson as possible, um, as that general plan will uh, be a foundation for future growth for the decade to come. Are there ideas or um, plans to make sure that young families uh, can can stay in their homes or existing residents and homeowners, you know, can, can stay put as things change? Yeah, that's um, really important. And that's a huge part of, um, you know, when we're thinking about a neighborhood, how do we think about um, kind of anti-displacement measures or ways to protect existing homeowners and renters. I would say that is something that we want to look at as part of an upcoming housing plan. And we've been, you know, the housing study that we're working on right now is is kind of the first stage in terms of collecting data, analyzing that data. And then um, from that, we'll be developing strategies and tools. And I mean, what you're mentioning is exactly a big issue that will be addressed. All right. Well, thanks for uh, sitting down with us and spending some time. Thank you. That was Corin Manning, planning administrator for the city of Tucson. And that's the buzz for this week. Next week, we'll continue this discussion with a look at downtown development and business district expansion. You can find all of our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.